Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So uh, this morning we are closing out a series that we've been in for the past uh, couple of weeks called The Human Condition. And uh, if it's your first time here, if you haven't caught parts one and two, you're kind of jumping in on the tail end of a conversation, kind of the end of the movie, which might be a little bit confusing. And so what I'm going to do for just a few minutes is I want to catch you up uh, to where we're going today, to where we've been so that where we're going today can be the most helpful because I believe where we're going today is that important. And even if you have been tracking with us the past couple of weeks, if you've been with us, you've been watching online, um, I still want to give you a refresher and a reminder of where we've been to set us up to fully take in where we are going today, because I believe it is that important. The human condition, what I've loved about the series and hopefully what you've enjoyed about the series is um, it's about all of us. It's about being human, that none of us can look down on the other. To be human um, is, is to be able to relate to all the things that we've been talking about in this conversation. And the thing that we can all relate to the most as human, the human condition, by condition, the state within which we exist and operate is to live in the tension that exists between who we want to be and who we actually are. The, the, the mother we want to be, the dad we want to be, the husband, the wife we want to be, the roommate we promise to be, the gluten-free workout person we want to be versus the one that we actually are. To be human is to know this gap well. To be human is to feel this gap, to be fully aware that this gap exists. And we can laugh about it, but it's also sometimes frustrating. Sometimes it's a little bit scourging. And sometimes we can think that we're the only ones that have this gap. But the truth is, it's not true. We all have this gap. It's why the self-help industry is worth so much money, because so many people know that this gap exists. And part of the reason why this conversation is so important is, one, you might be aware of this gap, but you're not the only one that feels the effects of this gap, right? In fact, what we've said, that those closest to us those that we parent, those that we lead, those that we live with, those that we're married to, those that we're in relationship with, those that we do life with, they also feel the collateral damage of this gap. Sometimes even feel getting the worst end of it than even we ourselves experience. And ultimately what we said is this gap, this gap steals, threatens to steal God's best from your life. That there is a God that desires best for you. And this gap threatens to steal that best. And, and the Apostle Paul, one of the verses we've looked at every week of this series, you've probably memorized it by now. Look at that. You just show up to church and you memorize a, a verse from the scriptures. You don't have to try. But Romans chapter 7, verse 15, maybe one of the most relatable verses in all of the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, um, I do not understand what I do. Like sums up the human condition so perfectly. This literally le- reads what my life produces. I do not know. I don't get it. I don't understand. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. So there's part of it. But then the next step, but what I hate, I do. So it's not even that we do what we don't want to do. We end up then doing the very thing that we hate to do. 
what my life is. There's this internal conflict that Paul, as a religious person writing this, by the way, felt this internal conflict that was waging war inside of him. And kind of the overarching idea is that if you do something that you don't want to do, what's the implication? We're admitting to ourselves that there is a better way. And so the Apostle Paul kind of works through this human quandary, and then he lands on this logical conclusion that there's this divided I, what I want to do, and then I don't do it, and then what I don't want to do, and then I end up doing what I hated, I end up doing it anyway. And so he says there's another part of the equation. There's another part, and that other part of the equation that he defines for you and for me is that every single human has what he called a sinful nature, a sin nature. Now, oftentimes for us, when we think about sin, um, and and maybe you grew up in a a church context where they just beat you over the head with your sin, and so when we think about sin, we think of sin as the verb, sin as the action. What I want you to do, though, as Paul talks about it in this context, is think about sin as a noun, as an entity that wants to wreak and reign havoc over your life and over Mine. And what that sin nature wants to do, it wants to pull us towards the sin, the verb. And maybe for you, you're like, I don't, I don't, we're, I'm, it's my first time here. Pastor's already talking about sin. I'm, I'm not interested in this. And maybe you're like, I don't know that there's a sin nature. That's okay. Let me meet you somewhere else. Maybe you don't call it a sin nature, but even for you, right? Come on, you know this. Even for you, there have been these moments where you bump up against your own conscience and there just seems to be this internal thing that is pulling you towards doing something that even your own conscience knows isn't a good idea. What is that thing? What is that thing that is even in conflict with your own conscience? The Apostle Paul would call it our sin nature, which leads us to sin, the verb. And what is sin? And we defined it in our series as this. Anything, anything that moves us inward towards self and away from God. Anything, that's what the, he also calls it the flesh, our sin nature. It, it pulls us inward towards self to gratify our own selfish desires, to live our lives as if we are most important, to gratify what we want at the expense of anything or anyone. It always wants to pull us inward towards self and sin ultimately away from God. And the reason why that's a great definition of sin is because according to Jesus, his New Testament ethic was you can't be okay with God if you fail to love people. So anything that moves you inward towards self and away from God is going to lead you to a place where you and I are hurting people. And so the apostle Paul says that we, we all have this sin problem and, and, and this is the last week of the series so I promise I'm not gonna haunt you with these peanut M&Ms for a whole message anymore. After this week, some of y'all are still like, I still can't believe he's given me none. He's so selfish. Um, we had, actually, it would have been a great idea to give y'all M&Ms on the way out. Next time. We'll, we'll do it again next week. Um, but So what we said was we're, we're all humans, okay? And what Paul says and what he describes, I'm going to summarize some verses that we looked at in week one, again, just to catch us up to speed, is that um, because we're all human, is that we are in Adam, Now, what Paul's referring to in Romans when he talks about the first human, he's talking about Adam, Genesis, um, as figurative of the first human. And so as the first human, we all then came from that first human, and we were born relationally connected to Adam. And the sin that Adam committed when sin entered into the world for the first time, we are then relationally connected to that sin as well. Now, whether or not you believe Genesis is literal or allegorical or you're not sure what you believe about Genesis, that's okay. That's kind of irrelevant at this point. The point is somehow, some way, sin entered into the world. And so Paul's giving us a frame of reference for that. 
And because of that, we're all connected to Adam, which means in this state, and this is not your fault, it's not my fault, it's Adam's fault, Paul's telling us, and I'm just the messenger, okay, is that we are all relationally connected to Adam, meaning in this state, sin rules and reigns. That in this state, we have a sin problem. That sin is a, is a, is a tyrant and is a master over your life and, on, and over mine, robbing us of God's best for us, totally disconnected from who God is. Now, I wanna make very clear, as I've done in weeks past, you don't have a sin problem because you're bad. You're not in Adam because you are bad. If you had someone that kept telling you that you have a sin problem because you're bad, that's bad theology if they left themselves out of it. You are not in Adam or have a sin problem because you're bad. We, we, all of us collectively, even the professional Christian on stage, we all have a sin problem because we're human. We were born into it. It's a problem that we could not fix on our own. And we said that the problem of sin in us required the power of God beyond us. That we said that the gospel is the power of God to save us from the tyranny of sin, which is why Paul concludes Romans chapter seven, verse 25. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But thanks be to God who sets me free. So we were in this state in Adam, but Jesus did a work. He died for our sins and then he rose again so that whoever would put their faith in Jesus, watch this, is no longer in Adam, but the power of sin has been broken so that we can now live relationally connected to Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. No longer defined by the tyranny of sin. It no longer has power over us. No, no, we are in Christ. We are relationally connected to Jesus and are given hope for a new life, a hope for a new future, and are able to step into God's best for our lives. And this is where we left off last week and where we're gonna pick up today. That in this state, sin had all the power. But Jesus in Christ, sin only has as much power as we give it. Because even though we are in Christ, we still have this tendency to wanna gratify the flesh. We still have this tendency to wanna fulfill our own desires. But it only has as much power as we let it have. Because in Christ, and this is where we landed last week, the reality is that sin, we told him, we said this together last week, it was so powerful. We said, sin, you are not my master. That when I'm relationally connected to Jesus, I've been freed from your, from your reign. I've been freed from your power. And the only power and influence sin has over your life and over mine when you're relationally connected to Jesus is the power that we give it. Because sin, sin, no, no, you decide who reigns. I decide who reigns. And sin, you are not my master. And so we said, so what's the walk then for you and for me is to embrace grace, embrace the grace that God has given us and to develop the discipline along the way to say, sin, you are not my master. But where I wanna pick up the conversation is that that is easier said than done. Let's pray, right? I mean, it's hard, right? Some of you are like, wait, what was quick? <laughs> Babe, we can go to lunch now. Easier said than done, right? So much easier said than done. In fact, for some of you, like you've been tracking this whole series and last week you left so motivated, sin, you are not my master. Then you got to Wednesday and you were like, oh. Sam, you got any, Sam, you, you got any more tricks for my husband? 
you got any more tricks for her, for, for him? You got any more tricks for me? Because I, mean, I was so ready on Sunday, but man, that was, that was harder than I thought. A lot easier said than done. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I can, uh, just saying no to sin all the time, it's just harder than I thought. Like, is there anything else I can do? How do I do it? Great question, because we do need help. Because here's what I wanna free us up from as we conclude this series, is that following Jesus, following, and for some of you Jesus followers, this, this is gonna be so freeing um, because you've lived in this world for, for far too long as you've tried to follow Jesus. Following Jesus and experiencing God's best for your life is not just a game of sin avoidance and behavior modification. That, that, that you experiencing God's best for your life is not just like tiptoeing around sin and waking up thinking, okay, don't wake up sin. Don't, up, don't I just gotta avoid sin. I hope I don't run into sin today. I hope I'm not tempted today. It's not just about changing our external behavior and white knuckling, you know, just kind of changing our behavior and like kind of self-discipline and just getting us there. No, there's a part of sin avoidance and, and all that and even doing things, even if you don't feel like it, there's some wisdom in that. But the, the grand plan of Jesus for you, kind of the big picture of what God desires for you is way bigger and better than just a life of avoiding sin and a life of just changing your behavior. No, no, what Jesus, what your heavenly father through Jesus actually desires for you is way better. It's transformation. What God wants to do in your life is not just you live a life where you're avoiding sin and you live a life where you just change your behavior. He wants to transform you from the inside out. That Jesus delivered you from the power of sin, not just so you could avoid it. No, so that he could transform you from the inside out. Transform your internal and inner desires so that there's a little less room for sin today than there was yesterday. Subtle difference but an important one. And, and we talked about these two big religious words over the past couple of weeks, and we've kind of breezed over them, but justification and sanctification. Paul talks a lot about these in the, in the New Testament. Justification, that is the state, that is us being justified before God. This happens in a moment. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified. You are no longer at odds with God because of your sin. You are forgiven. You did nothing to earn it. And there is grace that meets you every step of the way for the rest of your life. You are in right standing before God. Like you and God are good, okay? Justified. Sanctification. This is the process that happens after the moment. Sanctification is the lifelong process. Watch this not of us trying to avoid sin. Sanctification is the lifelong process of us being transformed from the inside out to look, live, and love more like Jesus. And that can't happen without your cooperation and without my cooperation, but it also is impossible for it to happen all on your own. And so what Jesus did, Jesus sent us a helper. And this is a part of the equation of the human condition that we haven't talked about yet because I knew that week three was coming and so we're kind of building up to this moment. But um, Jesus sent us a helper and the apostle Paul enters that helper into the chat in Romans chapter eight. So we finished Romans chapter seven, verse 25, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the apostle Paul picks up in Romans chapter eight, verse one. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. We are justified, meaning we have been pardoned from our sin and we are no longer at odds 
with God. We are in Christ, relationally connected to Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Why? He goes on, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Why is it there's no condemnation? Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, meaning the realm within which the Spirit operates, is the one that gives you life, and he's the one that sets you Free. So here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is telling you and I the extent to which we are relationally connected to Jesus. He's telling us the extent, the degree to which we are in Christ. And Jesus talked about this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. You can go read it. He talked about, he's telling his disciples, hey, it is better for me to go. He's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's better for me to leave you, he said. Why? Because I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you. He said, I'm gonna send my spirit and my spirit, he's gonna be able to be in everyone all over the place all at the same time and my spirit's gonna lead you. My spirit's gonna counsel you. My spirit is going to convict you and my spirit is going to guide you. We are in Christ to such a degree, relationally connected to Jesus to such a degree that he sent his spirit to reside in us. Paul gives us a crucial insight into the human condition and he gives us a primary tenet of the Christian faith. Ready? Watch this. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. When you are in Christ, the Spirit of Christ is in you. When you are in Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives, dwells, and resides in you. And so experiencing God's best for your life and that gap between who you are and who you want to be getting smaller It's not just about saying no to your sin nature. There's another side of it. No, no, no. It's more so saying yes to the spirit that lives inside of you. More on that in just a minute. So the Apostle Paul goes on in in, in Romans chapter eight, verse five, and he talks a little bit more about the spirit that lives inside of us. And he says in verse five, "Those, those who live according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. The flesh, meaning our sinful nature, that thing that wants to draw us inward towards self and away from God. Those who live according to the flesh and have their minds set on the flesh, they set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Live according to, it's uh, Paul's using um, an ancient Greek kind of rhetoric that was used to talk about agreeing with a political party or a certain kind of cause. So he's saying, hey, um, in whom are you agreeing? Who, is, who are you agreeing with, with your life? Mindset, the idea um, that denotes the basic direction of a person's will that steers the life that we live. So in so many words, the apostle Paul is saying, who are you aligning your life with? Are you aligning your life in agreeing with the flesh that still has influence if you give it any that wants to pull you inward towards self? Or are you aligning yourself with the spirit of Christ that lives inside of you? And he gives us the implications of either. Romans chapter eight, verse six. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. And I won't go into it too much because we spent a lot of time talking about it last week. But the reason why God hates sin so much is because it will do nothing but kill good things in your life. 
Because come on, you know this. Um, there's nothing healthy that can grow when you're always just facing selfishly inward toward self at the expense of others. So a mind governed by that inward facing flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit of Christ that is alive in you is a life of peace. It actually leads to the real life that Jesus promised to give you. So Paul here has given us a really important, important point. You will always follow the direction of your focus. You will always follow the direction of your focus. And, and, and you know this, right? Because remember, we don't, we don't do this anymore because it's illegal. But remember when you used to text and drive? Remember? Remember, we don't do it anymore. No, we don't. Those officers letting you out that are very nice will pull you over, okay? You don't do it anymore. You don't do it. When you used to do it, remember you have one hand on the steering wheel here? You got your phone right here? Just six inches away from the, but you start looking at your phone and what happens? You veer over to the right lane. If you're in the right lane, you veer over to the side and those little bumps, you're like, oh gosh, you know? They're so loud, it's like they're coming through the speaker system kind of thing, you know? What happened? You, it's, it's, just, it's just four inches, and, and you are focused. You know, I'm gonna be safe. I can text and drive, but you, what do we do? You, you, you follow the direction of your, of your focus. You and I will lead lives, and the direction we will go will be determined by what we are setting our mind to and to whom we are aligning our lives. Will it be the flesh that faces inward? And will lead to sin that will kill good things in your life? Or will it be aligned with the spirit of Christ that lives in you that wants to lead you to life and peace? And the apostle Paul, I wanna jump over to Galatians chapter five because um, he wrote the, the Galatians. It's another letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, hence the Galatians. So he wrote it to the Galatian people. And he actually wrote Galatians before he wrote Romans. And Galatians is basically a Cliff Notes version of Romans. So he talks a lot about the same themes. But what Paul does in Galatians chapter 5 is he takes this flesh and this spirit idea and he puts some really practical words around it. And I want to jump into that. So a mind governed by the flesh is death. A mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. We've been freed from the power of sin to follow the spirit, to be aligned with the spirit, to walk by the spirit. So the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. So since all that's true, since we've been freed from the tyranny of sin, he says, walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now notice this. Some of you have read this verse so many times, but you've missed this. Just, just notice this. He doesn't say don't walk by the spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit, because when you walk by the Spirit, what will you do by default? You will then not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is not proposing that we need to live a life of sin avoidance and just white-knuckling a change of behavior. It's different. It's better. He wants a transformation, and the Spirit inside of you wants to do that. So he says, walk by the Spirit, because when you are walking by the Spirit, it's impossible then to gratify the desires of the flesh. One is done by us cooperating and being a part of the equation and the, the death of the flesh that happens then by default as we walk by the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, he says. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are able, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We're no longer under this law. That was sin avoidance. That was tiptoeing around sin. That was you gotta get it right or else. That was about just changing our behavior. But we're not under the law anymore. We're under 
grace, where there's space for progress. And by that grace, Jesus sent his spirit to live inside of you and inside of me. So he says, so walk by that spirit. Then he gets really practical. And he says, in the acts of the flesh, that whenever we let the flesh take over, whenever we align ourselves and live by the acts of the flesh, this is when we're facing inward. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And it's gonna be obvious to you, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Like, you're gonna be like, yeah, yeah, there's nothing good that can come from this list of things. That whenever the flesh is taking charge, it's pretty obvious. This is what results in your life. Sexual immorality or even a lack of sexual integrity, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, worshiping something that can't carry the weight of your worship, witchcraft. (laughs) Paul was dealing with some stuff, man. Um, Yeah, but I mean, Y'all don't know, y'all Harry Potter. But I mean, maybe, you're welcome here. Um, but witchcraft, hatred, come on, we, we felt this. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, come on, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Come on, you, you, you don't even need to be a person of faith to know, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's not gonna lead. In fact, I've, I've experienced none of, that leading to anything good in my life. We've all been on the other side of the act of the flesh, acts of the flesh, and thinking, that did not go well for me. It felt good in the moment. I thought it was gonna be good. I thought that's what I wanted, but it, it was not worth it in the end. The acts of the flesh, he says, are obvious, and it doesn't take much convincing. That's not God's best. But then he goes on, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. As you and I learn to walk by the Spirit, as you and I learn to live according to the Spirit, align our lives with the Spirit, have our minds more and more set on the Spirit of Christ that is alive in you. He says, something is produced in you. Something is produced in you. He says, so the fruit, that's what a fruit, a fruit is something that is produced. He says, so when you walk by the Spirit, something is produced in and through you. And what is that fruit? Well, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice he doesn't say, okay, so try harder to be loving and, and, and peaceful and, 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 and kind and, and, and good. He's not talking about white-knuckling and changing our behavior. He's given us a way bigger picture for what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's walk by the Spirit. And as your mind is governed more and more by the Spirit, it's going to produce in you fruit. Love, joy, peace. Like, it'll even su- surprise you sometimes. It'll surprise those that are closest to you. It'll produce love. It's first on purpose. It's foundational. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love that Jesus modeled for us. He said, I want you to love. People know you're my disciples by the way that you love, and I want you to love them the way that I loved you. Joy, a, a deep-seated trust in God, no matter what you face. Joy is not the same of happiness. We've talked about this before. You can be sad and experience joy. Joy has the power to share space with any emotion because it's rooted in a deep-seated trust in God. Um, peace, peace. As, as, as we're reminded of the promises of God, as the Holy Spirit reminds you of what is true about your Heavenly Father, that we can experience peace, an inner response, calm and quiet, no matter the circumstance. Forbearance, your translation might say patience, right? Uh, But it's not just like, you know, you're sitting there at the DMV and you've gotta be patient. It's a different kind of patience. It's a patience when provoked. 
So it's saying, hey, when you're provoked, don't retaliate. Don't react and then do something you're going to regret. Have forbearance so that you can then take in and respond in a way that is loving. It'll produce kindness. Kindness doesn't get enough credit in the English language. It's like we have nothing else to say. You kind of just say, oh, they're, they're kind. But kind, it means to lend your strength, lend your capacity to somebody else. It's what God did for us. He saved us from a state we could not save ourselves from. Goodness, right? uprightness, benevolence being the hands and feet of Jesus, faithfulness in our relationships with one another. We'd be trustworthy. We'd be reliable. We would do what we said we were going to do. Our yes would be yes and our no would be no. Gentleness, that we'd not be harsh. We'd be considerate. Self-control, mastery of self, being able to curb little by little the flesh that wants to face inward towards self and away from God, therefore hurting others. As we walk by the Spirit, align ourselves with the Spirit, these things begin to be produced in us. So the Apostle Paul says, against such things there is no law. Of course there's not. Why would there be? The world is a lot better if these things are produced in Jesus' followers. Your workplace is a lot better. Your home is a lot better. My parenting and your parenting strategy is a lot better. Our marriages are healthier. Our communities are better. Um, This world, our leadership, everything is better when these are produced. Of course, there's no such law. It's God's best for you and for me. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh, meaning our state in Adam, our sinful nature, has no power over us. It died. It died. It only has as much power as we give it with with its passions and its desires as we walk by the Spirit. Um, I, I think I've mentioned you guys before. I'm, a, I'm not good at gardening. That's my, that's my mother-in-law. But I, I'm a big lawn guy, all about my lawn, okay? Love my lawn. It's a hobby of mine. I brag about my lawn probably as much as I brag about my kids, okay? Um, like my favorite is when I'm out there working. And this happened um, last summer. A dude was running, took his AirPod out to stop and say, your lawn looks good. I was like, thank you so much. I, um, we had my parents bought my, my girls a swing set uh, last year and uh, it got delivered and the person that dropped it off, he kind of, he, he, he helped me unload the stuff and he's looking at my front yard on the landscape. He's like, who does your landscaping? I was like, me. <laughs> he's like, looks good. I was like, thanks, say it again. You know, like I, I love, it's fun for me. It's, it's a hobby and it's just, I, I, I love it, right? Um, but I get my, my lawn aerated once a year, okay? Um, you want healthy lawn, get your lawn aerated once a year, okay? During the middle of the growing season, probably around June, that's free, okay? Um, so um, get, your, get your lawn aerated once a year. Um, and so I, I don't like to, I don't, you know, I don't get to have somebody come and do that. That's too much for me, right? And so um, I have a, I, I, there's a guy that comes and aerates my lawn once a year. Um, last year, him and I were talking, and he kind of owns like, a, like a, a lawn care business, right? Like come do fertilizers and this, that, and the other. And so, um, he aerated my lawn and he's trying to sell me on his, on his business. And I'm like, I'm indulging it. I'm not interested because I'm better. Um, kidding. <laughs> Sinful nature, everybody. So kidding. It's a hobby. I didn't need his help. And so, but, but we're talking, but he said something fascinating. It almost worked to sell me on it. He said, hey, my, my goal, you know, my strategy for your lawn, we're talking about weed control and having the best lawn, whatever. My strategy, he said, is to make your lawn is healthy and make the grass as thick as possible so that there is less or even no room at all for weeds to pop up. 
Like pulling weeds, that's an okay strategy. That's fine. You can, you can always pull weeds and then you can go spray for weeds and then eventually the weeds will come back because the spray doesn't last forever and you can pull some more weeds and then you might get discouraged because the weeds keep coming back and then eventually you'll get lazy and maybe there's a section of grass where the weeds just kind of take over because they grow really quickly. Like pulling weeds is an okay strategy. What's a way better strategy? Make my lawn as healthy and help the grass grow as thick as possible so there's little to no room for the weeds to grow. You and I can live a life of sin avoidance, pulling weeds, just kind of changing our behavior, right? Just kind of avoiding sin, one sin at a time. That's fine, but you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna run out of steam. It's not always gonna work as well. What would be a better strategy is growing the grass so thick, learning to cultivate a life where you walk by the Spirit to such a degree that there is a little less room for sin to sprout up today than there was yesterday. That we would learn to align ourselves with the Spirit of Christ in us so much that there's less room. I'm not even having to avoid sin because there's, I'm so in tune, I've aligned and my mind is so governed that I, there's less room for it to rear It's ugly head. And so the Apostle Paul says, and he concludes, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by, we uh, live our lives according to it, let us keep in step. He doesn't say, so hey, make sure you don't sin, avoid sin, tiptoe around it. Again, there's wisdom and all that, but the overarching transformation that God has for you and wants for you as you're relationally connected to Jesus by his spirit that's alive in you is to transform you. How do we do that? By keeping in step with the spirit, learning every day to live according to it a little bit more. Because what's true. This is worth writing down. The spirit's going to work, but you have to walk. The spirit will produce fruit. We have to follow. So here's what I want to do for just the next few minutes, remaining time together. Um, you know, walking by the Spirit. Saying, what does that even mean? You know, like for some of you came from a church context and that just got really weird. You're like, I, I don't know how to do that. Maybe if you're being honest, maybe you're a Jesus follower in the room and you're like, I've, I've heard that a lot. I think I do it. I don't really know if I do it. Like, how does walking by the Spirit work? You know, like, am I just waiting for like a path of fire to light up, you know, and I'm following or... Look for the white dove. There it is. Follow, 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 follow. Turn right, 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 right. You know, like it's, it's, it's not any of that. Here's what I want to do. I want to take what might seem mystical, abstract, and maybe a little bit weird if you're honest, and I want to bring it into the tangible, the practical, and the helpful. Because being relationally connected to Jesus and a major tenet of the faith is that his spirit is alive in us. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the triple A. I want to give you the triple A. Oh, maybe. Okay. I want to give you the triple A of walking by the Spirit, okay? Um, The AAA of walking by the Spirit, I wanna make it really, really practical and really, really helpful, and we're gonna see if this is gonna pop up here. If not, I can just move on, and that is okay. Yep, okay, it's coming. Yep, there it is, okay, oh, here we go. There we go, people, that's okay. (laughs) Listen, if nothing else, you're gonna get authentic and real at our church, okay? We're gonna do our best, but sometimes, well, technology. So, the AAA, of walking by the Spirit, okay? And, and this is not, we're not sponsored by AAA, you know, however, if you use discount code SAMR15, um, you can get 15% off roadside, assi- I'm kidding, you can't. Um, I'm glad y'all laughed though, because I really committed to that joke with the plasma, so. Okay, 
Don't, Samuel 15 don't, don't, doesn't work. Um, the, but the AAA, the AAA of walking by the Spirit. You ready? Here we go. The, the, first, the first A is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Acknowledge for some of you, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, the step one, acknowledgement. Acknowledge that he's there. Acknowledge that he, it's not like an, a random it. It is, it is a person. It is a he that lives inside of you and inside of me. Acknowledge that he lives in you. And maybe for some of you, acknowledge it. acknowledgement means practicing the art of surrendering your mind and surrendering your will and telling God that I want to surrender my life to the Holy Spirit that is alive in me. Acknowledge that in Christ we have a new identity, that we're no longer ruled by this thing called sin, but I'm so disconnected from the power of sin that Jesus sent his spirit to live inside of me that we would acknowledge that we can now live with a new mindset where I'm not handing it over to flesh and my sin nature to wreak havoc on my life. No, no, I can align myself with the spirit of God that wants to lead me to life and peace. It's acknowledging that we in Christ are under new management. So acknowledgement, step one, acknowledge that he's there, acknowledge that he's with you and acknowledge that he's alive in you. Second, give it, Give him your attention. So first, let's acknowledge acknowledgement and then attention. Give him your attention. And this is so huge, especially in our world full of distractions, our attention is at a premium. There's so many things pulling us in a number of different directions, pulling our mind in a number of different directions. This is a whole message for another day and maybe I'll preach on this one day, but a life of hurry tends to be in contra- in, in con- live in contradiction to trying to walk by the Spirit because there, we leave no space and no margin to give any attention to anything other than what's right in front of us. So for some of us, it's slowing down long enough, creating some moments in the day Right? Maybe it's like in the morning or when you're drinking your coffee or you know, before the kids wake up or as you're driving to work or wherever you, during nap time, creating moments in your day where you can give it, after you've acknowledged it, give it your attention. Create space where you're praying. We're creating space for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to create space to listen. Have you ever, and maybe some of you, to pay attention to how certain conversations maybe are not a coincidence I've learned the longer I follow Jesus that oftentimes God wants to speak to me through people that love me. He speaks to me through my wife all the time. And I'm not just saying that because she's my wife. I'm being serious, right? That pay attention to those conversations that are almost like too coincidental. I needed to, how did you, I needed to hear that. I, what, what's going on here? Or, or, or pay attention to when something or when someone comes to mind. Again, I, I can't explain this, but we have those moments where there's nudges. Send this text or, ah, don't, don't go over there. Ah, maybe you should think about that. Or, hey, maybe you should call this person. Hey, maybe you should go see if they need help. These nudges that you can't quite explain, but you know that they're there. Pay attention. Um, pay attention when you feel convicted. There's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. We said this. Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 8 that we just looked at it. There's no condemnation, right? Condemnation says that you are bad. Conviction says, hey, you're about to do something you might regret. Conviction is kind of like, you know, on your nerve endings, on your fingers, when you touch something hot, what do you do? You don't like touch it and you're like, huh, that's hurting. Oh man, that's, that is melting my skin off. Jeez. No, right? Like, 
you touch it and immediately like, like it's these nerve endings send a signal to your brain and you immediately react and you pull it off. Why? Um, those nerve endings are telling your brain, hey, um, what they are doing is not going to end well for them. That's what conviction is. It's this, I, you probably shouldn't, hey, I, ah, it's not gonna go well for you. I don't go, don't send that, don't say this, don't do there, don't look, ah, don't put it down. It's conviction. It will not go well for you. Create space for you to be able to give the spirit of God alive in you attention long enough to listen. And then lastly, after we've acknowledged it and we give it our attention, then it's action. Then it's, okay, I'm going to trust it and I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust where it's leading and I'm going to follow. I'm gonna do something with that conviction. I'm gonna do something with that nudge. I'm going to pay attention and then I'm going to follow. And I'm telling you, the more you practice this, acknowledgement, give it your attention and then action. Acknowledgement, attention and action. Acknowledge he's there, surrender he's there, pay attention to when he wants to speak and then act on when he does. You'll get better. And you'll even start to be able to recognize his leading more and then you'll even find yourself surprised in moments. This happened to me, this was five years ago. I was flying to North Carolina to speak for a, for a church camp, this youth church camp. And I was the guy late. I'm running through the airport. I underestimated everything, security's fault. Uh, I'm just kidding. But I'm running, I'm, I'm the guy that you've judged, right? I'm the guy that you're sipping on your Starbucks because you have time and I'm running, okay? And I, I, I'm, I'm sweating, I'm winded, I get up to the counter. And it's literally 10 minutes before departure. Not boarding, wheels up. And I know that's an important detail because I get to the counter and I throw my boarding pass and I'm like, hey, I'm here. And she scans my boarding pass. She's like, oh, Mr. Massad, I'm so sorry. Um, we have given your seat away. I was like, sorry, I'm winded. I can't hear good. Um, you said something crazy. I know that's not what you meant, but you said that the seat that I paid for, you have given to somebody else. Sorry. <laughs> Clarify, what did you say? I said, yeah, we... We gave, your, we gave your seat away. Um, 10 minutes and in from departure time, we can give any open seat to anyone on standby. And in this moment, I'm about to rage. I'm like, okay, bro, I'm gonna punch you in the throat. And I'm kidding, but like, <laughs> kidding me. I would never hit, look at me. I can't, I can't, I would never, ever. Forget that it's illegal and terrible. Like I just can't fight, you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm about to get so upset. Ironically, I'm going to speak at a church camp. And so I'm, I'm, I'm about to go, I mean, like, I'm about to, I can feel it. I'm about to rage. I'm about to do what Sam or in his own flesh would do. I mean, I can feel it. And then I can't explain this. This is all within milliseconds. This all happened so fast. I can still remember this tangibly. Something, and I know what it was, because it was not me. The Spirit of God, it was this moment I was reminded of something Paul wrote. I had literally read it just a couple weeks prior, Colossians chapter three, where it says, hey, clothe yourself, clothe yourself with kindness and gentleness, like be kind. And in this moment, I can't explain it. There was something that overrode what my flesh was trying to get me to do. There was something that overrode me reacting in anger and lashing out and doing and saying things that would make me look stupid and things that would be hurtful and things that I would regret. And in that moment, I can't explain it. I took this deep breath. I probably surprised him because he saw me rearing up. And I took a breath. And I just said, cool, I've really got to get to North Carolina. 
What can you do? Got me on the next flight two hours later. Church didn't even know that I was late. I called Julie. It's like, you gotta be so proud of me. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I can't, it wasn't me. It wasn't me trying to be kind. You know what I was trying to do was go crazy. What I was trying to do was go into a fit of rage. What I was trying to do was I'm gonna hurt you since you've inconvenienced me. And I'm gonna use my words as a weapon to do it. But instead, there was something alive in me, something greater and stronger because it broke the power of sin in me and I got to walk by the Spirit and it produced something in me that was better. So, what I want you to do, I want you to practice the triple A of walking by Spirit. And what I'd love to do, I'd love to close with this, this prayer, this prayer. And, and, and maybe you, you write this prayer down and, and maybe you practice praying it, you know, when you're driving to work or when you're sipping your coffee, like whenever you've got a moment, maybe you practice, practice praying this prayer. And it's just Spirit of God. Give me a mind attentive, ears to listen, and the courage to follow. In fact, I would we practiced saying stuff out loud last week. I'd love to say this together. We're gonna, we're gonna say this together one time. Ready? Just here in four sections. Ready? One, two, three. Spirit of God, give me a mind attentive, ears to listen, and the courage to follow. Acknowledgement, attention, action. The human condition is that we aren't where we want to be, but there is a heavenly father that saw us in our desperate need sent Jesus to save us and then sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that he could transform us. Not by just avoiding sin and changing our behavior. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. Transforming us so that as we keep in step with his spirit, the good that he has for you would be produced. The spirit's gonna work, but you and I have to walk. So let's learn to start walking. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you see us. We're so grateful that you saw us in our desperate condition and you sent Jesus to save us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you desire what's best for us. Thank you that you've given us a way to be connected to Jesus. I pray, Father, pray that by your spirit that you would Give us a mind attentive, ears to listen, and the courage to follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.